BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. A beloved father and military man vanishes without a trace. He left his car keys. He left his wallet. He left his cell phone. After a few days, we just kind of went into, into panic. Like, this is not like him. As multiple agencies join forces to find him, they must contend with a cold snap that threatens to derail their entire case. A lot of people think Texas is scorching hot all the time, and that's simply not the case. It gets real cold, and it gets down below freezing at night. In the end, could the winter weather hold the key to unlocking this mystery. The weather really plays a larger role than most people think. In the sleepy West Texas town of San Angelo, cattle ranching is king and the locals are proud of their country heritage and strong family values. San Angelo is known as cattle country and you see it all over the place. It's very much a desert community and it's also a fairly modern urban city. Situated on the border of the Chihuahua Desert, the area endures scorching summers. But while the Texas climate may be synonymous with heat, that isn't always the case in San Angelo. December and January can get very cold. San Angelo can even get some snow with winter storms that usually come from the Pacific. And in March of 2005, San Angelo was on the heels of a bitterly cold winter. The cold front is about to play a crucial role in one of the toughest criminal investigations this country town has ever seen. After a cold winter makes way for spring, investigators from multiple departments have gathered at a sprawling ranch just north of San Angelo. The uh, Air Force OSI was involved, the Tom Green County Sheriff's Office, the San Angelo Police Department, and the Texas Department of Public Safety and Texas Rangers. It's here they believe they will find a key piece of evidence in the disappearance of 24-year-old Air Force Staff Sergeant Michael Severance who vanished two months earlier. Michael Leslie Severance was born on July 20th, 1980, the eldest son of a close-knit family in rural Maine. There was 800 people, so small town Maine. If we wanted to do something, we had to travel an hour, hour and a half. Michael and his little brother Frank found ways to entertain themselves, even during those severe New England winters. Nearly half the year, nighttime lows fall below freezing. So you really have to love the cold and snow to live there. We spent a lot of time outside in the wintertime. Um, as kids, you snowball fights, sledding, tubing, skiing, snowmobiling, ice fishing. 
Although a bit on the shy side, Michael was a natural leader. Even when tragedy struck, he remained a rock for his family. His mother died when he was young, and he raised his younger brother, Frank, with help from his father. He was the glue that held the family together after his mother passed. Despite the loss of his mother, Michael excelled in school as both a student and an athlete. He was an honor student in school. He ran cross country. He skied, downhill skier, cross country skier. Pretty much any way he could go fast, he would. After he graduated uh, from high school, he went into the Air Force, was a crew chief on a C-130. That's the person who's in charge of the airplane in the Air Force, and that's a very responsible job. After multiple deployments overseas, Michael was stationed at Dias Air Force Base in Abilene, Texas. And the New Englander instantly fell in love with the Lone Star State. So many people from the Northeast, those 40 below zero winters, uh, get old. So I, I think he really did love the weather in Texas and the people. Michael loved the culture and instantly bought himself a cowboy hat and pair of boots. He figured out pretty fast that the way to meet girls and to have fun was to just go out dancing and be a good dancer. And that's what he did. And on a night out in 2003, while hanging out at a bar one night in Abilene, Michael caught the eye of a pretty Texan, 25-year-old Wendy Mae Davidson. She was fun, outgoing, just kind of in the moment. So wanted to have, just wanted to have a good time. She was just finishing up veterinary school and in the process of launching a veterinary practice of her own in San Angelo. And they hit it off very quickly. Wendy grew up in, uh, in a rural area just north of San Angelo called Grape Creek. She had uh, grown up around ranching and large animals. And so I guess that's how she developed her interest in becoming a veterinarian. Wendy was a very an intelligent uh, woman. She went to A&M and got into vet school, and that's not easy. The born and bred Texas girl was also the single mother of a two-year-old boy who Michael bonded with right away. But just a few months into their relationship, Wendy found herself pregnant. For Michael, there was never any question about what he would do next. He wanted to give it a try. Growing up without a mother was kind of a separated family. He didn't want that for his kid. In September 2004, the couple married in a small courthouse ceremony in Wendy's hometown of San Angelo. Mike was excited to be a dad. I think he was excited about the whole family package. Within a month, Wendy launched her very own veterinary practice. Her parents invested a lot in the practice. Her father helped maintain the building, and her mother ran the office and did the books. Part of the clinic was used as a residential area where they lived. Uh, it was Michael, uh, Wendy, and their two children. Michael made the 90-mile commute to the base in Abilene and back every day. It's no short commute, especially if you're being a crew chief, you have to spend a lot of time at the, at the base. but. I think that uh, that was okay with him. To celebrate the flurry of exciting news, the newlyweds planned a trip to Maine on January 15, 2005, for Michael's family to meet Wendy and the baby. 
We had planned a little wedding reception at a, at a small hall with all of Mike's friends, all of our family. We were definitely excited, kind of on the edge of our seats waiting. But Michael would never make it. We got a phone call from Wendy saying Mike was missing. She didn't know where he was. After a few days, we just kind of went into, into panic. Like, this is not like him. Now, two months later, investigators have just received new information leading them to a rural ranch outside San Angelo to look for answers into Michael's disappearance. We were searching other areas of the ranch. Some investigators were searching uh, barns and outbuildings. The idea of him just disappearing struck people as bizarre and scary. Will investigators find out exactly what happened to the crew chief with a little help from the icy winter weather? It's rare that people think about how much impact the weather has on an investigation. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's gonna be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. In 2005, as spring approaches, investigators from multiple departments are on a cattle ranch outside of San Angelo, searching for clues to missing 24-year-old airman Michael Severance, who vanished that January. Two months earlier, a cold front was moving across the state when police got an unusual call. A 26-year-old woman named Wendy Davidson reported that she hadn't seen her husband, Michael Severance, since around 3 p.m. the day before. When she left, he was sitting on the couch in a pair of uh, purple boxers. She said he still hadn't gotten dressed and was drinking beer, and he never drank beer at home, so there was something going on. She said when she returned at 8 p.m., he was gone and hadn't returned. Investigators asked Wendy to come to the station so they can get more information. Once there, she explained his strange behavior lately. Wendy had said that Michael had taken to a lot of drinking and that he just wasn't around very much. He'd make little comments like, hope you know you married a drunk. I thought he was just joking that way, but I did notice he was drinking a lot. Wendy also noted that Michael went out all the time disappearing for hours, and she had no idea where. You ever said anything about leaving or going anywhere? Which bus to go to Maine? She told the detectives that they were supposed to leave on a flight to Maine that morning around 8 a.m. They had planned for Wendy and the children to uh, accompany Michael to his family's home in Maine and to meet everybody. She said she immediately reached out to everyone and no one had seen him. I called my parents and his parents, and then I called for accident reports. I knew I couldn't follow a police report for 24 hours. 
Is there something that happened about that time that you know of? They'll probably start drinking more or something? They might have bit off a little more than they could chew because Mike was traveling an hour, hour and a half from San Angelo to Dias every day to the base and still trying to figure out after work, before work, his PT, his schedule. Wendy told police that all of that stress had started to take a toll on Michael. Then she said there might have been another reason for her husband's angst. He'd also made little comments about, you know, mostly during just the last few weeks, how he hated his job. She had told the investigators that Michael had been scheduled to deploy and that he was upset about deploying. She believed that it was possible that Michael had left voluntarily. She also said that on the same day Michael disappeared, Cash turned up missing from the vet clinic. It was 221 that was missing, and um, nobody has access to it other than Mike. The clinic didn't look broken into, so I assume Mike took Could Michael have deserted and left his new wife and baby behind? As they wrapped up with Wendy, investigators called the Texas Rangers for assistance. One of the first things that I did in the investigation was obtain uh, Michael's cell phone records. If he had gone missing voluntarily, uh, he may have contacted somebody to assist him in leaving. They noticed calls went unanswered around the time Wendy said she last saw him. So they reached out to everyone who made contact with Michael on his phone in the last few days. We were able to find out who, who the people were that had those phone numbers. They were all contacted with negative results as far as anybody knowing what uh, had happened to Michael. Investigators next reached out to Michael's employer, but there wasn't much the Air Force could do at the time. Since Michael was on leave starting that weekend, his unit didn't expect him to be around, so the Air Force could take no action until his leave ended. And so that kind of worked against any uh, real effort. They even explored other avenues with no luck. The investigation did not reveal anything as far as with associates or the, the rental car company queries or queries of the hotels in the area. All of those had negative results. Two days into their investigation, police were no closer to pinpointing Michael's whereabouts. We were unable to identify anybody that really knew what it might have happened with Michael. They asked Wendy if they could search her clinic and apartment for clues, and she agreed. As investigators arrived, Inside, they noticed that all of Michael's personal belongings were still there, like his clothes and checkbook. His pickup truck was still at the clinic. Michael left without his cell phone, uh, his wallet, basically anything that normally somebody would take with them was left behind. So that was a real, real red flag that, that uh, there was a problem. Investigators headed outside into the chilly air to see if there was any sign of him. There were several searches conducted, searching the area around the clinic in the event that Michael had, had walked off from the clinic and succumbed to the weather. Just the night before, the low temperature dipped to 19 degrees. So in those elements, hypothermia is very real without the proper protection. 
but that those searches resulted with no sign of Michael having been around the clinic area. While the bitter winter season continued, the Air Force joined the search, forming a large joint task force to figure out if Michael was a deserter or if there was something much more sinister going on. This was not a normal disappearance where somebody just disappeared. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As investigators in San Angelo, Texas, led the investigation into missing Air Force Staff Sergeant Michael Severance, they were locked in the middle of a harsh winter that just wouldn't quit. You have what's called the El Nino Southern Oscillation Cycle, which has a huge impact on the weather in Texas. During the El Nino phase of the cycle, the jet stream is located west to east across the state. This results in colder temperatures and heavier snowfall. When the wind gets coming down off the Rockies in Texas, it will chill you to your core. Three days into their investigation, San Angelo police, along with the Texas Rangers, wondered if Michael disappeared on purpose, just like his wife had said. Wendy discussed with the investigators the possibility that Michael had left voluntarily because of his concern about being deployed. But when police spoke with Michael's family in Maine, they were adamant that he would never have abandoned his family or his country. There were times where he would volunteer to go overseas so somebody with a family didn't have to. Here's a guy that takes somebody else's mission, but he's gonna run out on his own family. Like, that doesn't make sense. And while the Severances had no idea if someone wanted to hurt Michael, they did know of someone who couldn't stand him. The family dynamics were a little bit unusual with the, the Davidson family. But Wendy's parents uh, did not care much for Mike and uh, her mother in particular uh, did not like Michael at all. Wendy's mother and father were very, mother especially, were very much against the marriage. They thought that he wasn't the best candidate uh, for a husband for their daughter. After hearing about the family strife, detectives decided to speak to Wendy's parents and her mother, Judy Davidson, made no bones about her disdain for her son-in-law. It was almost as if, uh, regardless of who it was uh, that had married their daughter, they would not have liked that person. She said she hated him, but she also said she didn't know what happened. I didn't do it. I don't know anybody that would hurt a man. But if, he, if I never saw him again, that's just passing on my cake. According to Judy, this wasn't the first time Michael had taken off without warning. In fact, a few days before Michael disappeared, 
he had taken his newborn to Abilene. There was some argument about something between Wendy and Michael. He just uh, took the child and went up to the Air Force Base in Abilene, and it caused an extreme reaction, more so by Wendy's mother than by Wendy, even. He has got a mental problem? Does he? Well, I don't know. But that's, you don't take a baby to sleep. I don't care if it is You tell somebody. Despite her suspicious statements, police had no evidence against Judy and were forced to release her. Investigators were quickly running out of leads to follow, but they were about to receive a helping hand from one of the country's most elite investigative teams. After Michael never showed up for duty, he was officially considered AWOL. Due to the fact that he was serving in the Air Force, the Air Force OSI office uh, assigned personnel to assist with the investigation. After speaking with Michael's colleagues, investigators are convinced he wouldn't have abandoned his post. They were given the impression that Michael was very dedicated and would not likely desert. Michael was recognized as being an effective combat soldier and he loved being in the Air Force. He had no plans to get out. He was going to serve his country. He was committed to it. But if Michael didn't desert, then where was he? We had to reevaluate some of the possibilities of what may have happened to Michael. Next, OSI investigators searched the clinic and apartment again. This time, they took the home computer. One of the things that was done was uh, there was a consent search of a computer that uh, Wendy had. While they waited for results, a routine records check drops an unexpected bombshell. Within a few days, she filed a missing persons complaint and then she filed for divorce. That struck people as odd. Normally, that activity would be unusual, but you can't uh, just assume anything during an investigation like this. Bolstered by their first lead in days, investigators decided to put a tail on Wendy. If Michael had left voluntarily, Wendy may have assisted him, helping him to hide. But will she lead them to her missing husband or to something even more shocking? In 2005, authorities in the Lone Star State were investigating the disappearance of 24-year-old Air Force Staff Sergeant Michael Severance. As weeks went by with no sign of him, detectives worried that frigid winter weather conditions could hamper their investigation. Cold can damage evidence, can hinder its usefulness, can hinder the ability to analyze evidence. As temperatures started to rise, the task force suspected that Michael's wife of four months, Wendy Davidson, might be hiding her husband to avoid him being sent overseas. By filing for divorce, Wendy kind of appeared to show that she still believed Michael would sometime return. But then at the same time, it could be looked at as some type of ploy uh, if she knew that he was not alive to make it seem like she did believe he would return. 
But at the same time, you can't uh, just assume anything uh, during an investigation like this. OSI investigators decided to use electronic surveillance to see if Wendy will lead them to the missing airmen. They put a tracking device on her car, and in some cases, they followed her. In monitoring her movements, we were able to identify the locations that she traveled to, and most of those were routine, but one in particular was when she traveled to a, a ranch. Located just north of San Angelo in rural Tom Green County, the sprawling ranch struck detectives as the perfect place for a runaway soldier to hide out. The ranch that uh, was owned by a family friend of the uh, Davidsons uh, had three stock tanks or ponds on them. And generally, these stock tanks or ponds are used uh, for livestock so that they have a, a source for water. Wendy kept going to the stock pond, this one place, over and over again. She did take care of the animals that were on this farm. She did have a horse there. But it kept happening that she kept going to the pond, and that was one of the things Wendy did that really made her look suspicious. Within a few days, the owner of the property agreed to let police explore the ranch for any signs of Michael. But after an exhaustive search, they found none. Some investigators were searching uh, barns and outbuildings. Um, there was also a uh, trailer house where a ranch hand lived. But that, those searches resulted with uh, negative results, uh, no sign of Michael having been around. Investigators were about to throw up their hands, but the very next day, a stunning new piece of evidence emerged when the results from Wendy's computer came in. Analysis identified certain searches, internet searches that had been conducted that raised uh, suspicion they discovered that she had been surfing the internet looking for information about how bodies decompose in water. We became very, very concerned because the location that she stopped at on the ranch was near a, a pond. And I think everybody realized that something bad happened, that there was some foul play. Rainy Saturday in March, nearly two months since Michael Severance disappeared, police paid Wendy another visit at her vet clinic. This time, they weren't going to let her off easy. During that meeting, uh, we discussed the searches that she had conducted on the internet. She was not bothered by us asking. She kind of laughed and expected us to be asking about that. Her answer was that, uh, well, there was a creek by the vet clinic, and she just was uh, wanting to know what would happen if uh, his body was out there. It was unusual because the creek that she was detailing was, was not likely to be deep enough for a body to be submerged in it. Sensing something was amiss, detectives then confronted Wendy with what they had learned from tracking her. I explained to her that uh, we had identified the ranch. I told her that we would be searching that ranch after uh, informing Wendy that we would be searching the pond, uh, she, for the first time, uh, changed her demeanor slightly. Uh, and so it's, it almost appeared that she was uh, concerned that we would be searching that pond. 
The interview was cut short when Wendy was called away for a veterinary emergency. But investigators hung back to keep an eye on her and took cover from the sudden downpour. It was a particular bad uh, weather time. And March can be really bad. And San Angelo can be cold and windy and uh, get some rain uh, spring approaches. And so it was a particularly bad day. It's raining pretty heavily. Investigators watched as uh, pet owners brought a pet to be treated. But what was unusual is that they were only there at the clinic briefly after that Wendy Davidson left the clinic. It was unusual for her to leave so abruptly uh, when uh, she was uh, supposed to be treating an animal uh, that had been injured, and uh, but uh, that treatment didn't last long, and she abruptly left the clinic. Detectives didn't have to wait long to find out where she was headed. Some of the investigators observed Wendy arrive at the gate of the ranch, and so they confronted her, and she was in the pouring rain with her young child in the vehicle, and she was wanting to go on to the ranch, and so they prevented her from entering the ranch. Wendy explains that she is just there to check on her horse, but police have their doubts. The police told her, don't go to the ranch. Just stay away from there. And she went and did it immediately. That's a response that speaks of panic and guilty knowledge. Obviously, with Wendy taking the time in the pouring rain to drive out to the ranch after we had discussed it in our meeting, uh, this uh, obviously is not normal uh, behavior. Uh, it also raised the suspicion level of her even higher at this point. It led us to believe that we're on the right track and that we would find Michael's body in the pond out at the ranch. But before investigators get a chance to search the pond, Wendy has another surprise in store for them. After investigators prevented Wendy from entering the ranch, she left the area. And then sometime later, an investigator with the San Angelo Police Department received a phone call from her brother. Wendy's brother tells them that they need to come to Grape Creek Cemetery. She immediately went to a graveyard where her grandmother was, and she met family members who she supposedly told that she didn't kill Michael, but she had dumped his body. She had disposed of his body. She had found him dead. It must have been a surreal thing. Her family, according to what they said, are just, they don't know what's going on. They're bewildered. Now, almost two months into their investigation, police think they may finally have a solid lead on Michael Severance's whereabouts. We scheduled uh, the Texas Department of Public Safety dive team to come out and assist with the search of the pond. The investigation into the missing persons case of Michael Severance is about to gain speed when the icy water reveals what they've been looking for all along. One resource that we did not uh, count on having was the weather. After searching for months through a bitterly cold West Texas winter, authorities just learned that Wendy Davidson has admitted to being involved with the disappearance of her husband, Airman Michael Severance when she left the ranch. That's when she took off and she called her family members uh, all panicking and they met her at the cemetery. She says to her family, look, uh, Michael's dead. I found his body. I disposed of it. 
you gotta wonder what was going through their heads as this was happening. It just must have been a horrible, horrible, terrible thing to endure. I guess everybody was, you know, hysterical. Her parents were hysterical. She was, of course, also. As soon as investigators arrive, they escort Wendy to the station for more questioning, and her vehicle is submitted for evidence. One of the things that I mentioned was that we kind of know, got to know from you, you know, why this all happened. But I'm not talking right now. I guess you forgot about part of the conversation. She was, at that time, charged with uh, tampering with evidence based on the fact that she had admitted to moving Michael's body, which was evidence. Whether she killed him or somebody else killed him, uh, his body was evidence and she tampered with it. After recovering no evidence from Wendy's vehicle, the next morning, investigators convene at the stock pond along with a dive recovery team. But they have no idea what they're going to find below the surface. It was unclear to me at the time uh, if we found Michael's body in the pond, what condition it would be in. The decomposition of a deceased body creates very serious challenges. After more than three hours of searching, a diver finally signals that he's found something at the bottom of the pond, and it's as everyone feared. The dive team personnel had, had identified the body. There were several objects attached to the body to weight it down to the uh, uh, bottom of the pond. Once they were able to detach these items, the body rose to the top, to the surface of the pond. They can see it's a white male wearing just a pair of boxers, but investigators are confident it's the body of Michael Severance. I was surprised at how well preserved the body was. That cold temperature had uh, really delayed decomposition. Also, the preservation of the body uh, allowed us to see immediately sharp force injuries to the body, stab wounds uh, throughout the body. Could that be what killed Michael? They'll have to wait for an autopsy to be sure. Michael's family is just shattered when they hear the news. I walked outside trying to wrap my head around what was going on. At that time, we didn't know who we didn't know why. We didn't know where. We just knew that they had found him. That following day, detectives received the autopsy report. Thanks to the cold water preserving the body, the medical examiner was able to confirm that the body is in fact Michael Severance. The stab wounds to the body, the sharp force injuries to the body totaled uh, more than 40. But all were inflicted post-mortem. Those stab wounds were more strategic, not based on emotion, they're based on thinking of what would happen to the, to the body once it was submerged in water. Whenever you put a body in water, the gases inside the body cause it to expand. So you place stab wounds in, in center mass places, the lungs, the heart, um, the arms by uh, inflicting stab wounds to the body in certain areas of the uh, main upper body torso, it relieved those gases and so that the body would not rise. And when the toxicology report comes in, 
it reveals the true cause of Michael's death. Michael had high levels of phenobarbital and pentobarbital in his system, and that his death was caused by acute drug intoxication. Phenobarbital and pentobarbital, and that's, that's how you euthanize a horse, and it works immediately. His death is officially ruled a homicide, and as far as investigators are concerned, that throws Wendy's entire story out the window. Who else knows how to use those drugs and what combination? Who has access to them? It was clear to us that Wendy had uh, used drugs that she kept at the clinic to euthanize Michael. And a search of Wendy's veterinary clinic confirms detective suspicions. What we found is that Wendy had forged drug logs to account for missing drugs that were used on Michael. Although investigators don't have a solid motive, and most of their evidence is circumstantial, they're pretty confident Wendy killed her husband. On May 24, 2005, Wendy Davidson is indicted for two counts of tampering with evidence and murder. She pleads not guilty. If convicted, she's looking at nine to 99 years in prison. I think everybody was shocked that, that uh, Wendy could have done such a thing. And there was just nothing in her life that seemed to point that anything like this could happen. As prosecutors prepare for trial, investigators continue to build their case when the Texas winter helps them uncover another key piece of evidence. The weather certainly was against her. You should never underestimate the weather. More than four months after Air Force Crew Chief Michael Severance vanished from his home in West Texas, police have filed murder charges against his wife of four months, Wendy Davidson. If it hadn't been for the frigid winter of 2005, investigators doubt they would have ever made it this far. Luckily, this particular winter, there were many days with below freezing temperatures. So the cold water uh, and the cool temperatures preserved evidence to include Michael's body. Investigators were not only able to identify Michael, but they also recovered crucial evidence from his autopsy. They were able to take the, the tissue samples and, and even the, the blood and, and find the drugs. The preservation of the body from the cold temperature allowed us to see the stab wound. Without a body, there's no autopsy, then that the criminal case would have been a whole different situation. Instead, Wendy is in jail awaiting trial for Michael's murder. I think she was hoping that it was just going to disintegrate. There was going to be nothing left. Luckily, the weather was on our side. And in October of 2006, a pretrial hearing gets underway in a Tom Green County courtroom. Prosecutors lay out what they believed occurred on January 15, 2005, although Wendy's true motive is a mystery. It remains uh, unclear why Wendy killed Michael. Uh, there are different theories uh, about why she did it. The big problem with the marriage is that people around Wendy thought it happened too fast. It made for a lot of tension built in right at the beginning of this. And it is believed that when Michael wanted to take a trip with Wendy to Maine, 
it only made things worse. I don't think all of the people around Wendy wanted that to happen. There were expressed fears that if he and their son left, they might not come back. They might choose to stay in Maine. But they say the catalyst might have been when Michael took their son on an unplanned trip to Abilene. I think Wendy believed that perhaps Michael would leave her and uh, attempt to gain custody of their child. So that night, they say Wendy decided to do something about it. It is believed that uh, Wendy Davidson used the phenobarbital to drug Michael, uh, to sedate him, possibly in a, in a food or drink or maybe a beer. Uh, then once he was asleep, that she injected him with the pentobarbital to cause his death. Afterwards, Wendy forged documents to account for the missing drugs. Then she moved his body to the stock pond on the ranch and stabbed him over 40 times. Wendy most likely believed that by stabbing the body, she would prevent or delay uh, the discovery of the body and the body would decompose and that evidence would be lost. After stabbing him, she used whatever she could find around the ranch to weigh his body down. The next day, Wendy reported her husband missing and tried to make it seem he fled to avoid deployment. I didn't think anything like this was possible. How could somebody do that? How could somebody do that to another human being? As the trial looms closer, investigators continue searching for more solid evidence. They comb through the items recovered with Michael's body used to weigh him down, hoping to find some kind of physical evidence. That's when they hit the jackpot. And a section of uh, latex glove was uh, found on one of the restraints that was attached to Michael's body. And when Wendy's DNA is found on that piece of glove, it's a slam dunk case against the veterinarian. Some of the most important evidence that, that we had was Wendy Davidson's DNA. Most likely had his body been exposed to uh, the high temperatures or the open air. The DNA evidence most likely we would not have been able to uh, collect and uh, strengthen the case against Wendy Davidson. Wendy's defense makes a desperate bid to have much of the evidence against her thrown out of court. But in the 11th hour, Wendy takes a deal and pleads no contest. Once the uh, motion to suppress evidence was denied, Wendy most likely knew that she would be convicted. She receives 25 years in prison for her crimes. As far as what she deserves. I think she should spend the rest of her life in prison. I think right now, this minute, this moment, she's where she deserves to be. Even though he's gone, Michael Severance's legacy lives on. Among his large family and his friends, he'll always be remembered with uh, love and affection and admiration and respect. They'll always honor his memory. I think he'll be remembered as as a fun-loving guy who was there for his friends and family and his country. I wish he would have had the chance to show us the next 20 years, the next 30 years. And, and that's, that's the hard, that's the hardest part. And if it wasn't for the West Texas winter, his killer might have gotten away with it. It's rare that people think about how much impact the weather has on an investigation, especially outside, can really impact what happens to evidence. 
could impact how an investigation is conducted, how searches are conducted. Uh, so the weather really plays a larger role than most people think. If this had been in the summer, it, was, it would have been a whole different ball game.